I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. I'm Daniela Kuye and welcome to The Call. So I have two excellent guests here today and I'm just going to introduce them both. Here to join us for the next hour, I have Daniel Ortiz from Lincoln Indicators. Hi, Daniel. Good to be here. It's the D show today, but hopefully an A grade <laughs> performance for the show as well. Exactly. We were just saying that we've got three Ds and David Lane from Ord Manette. Welcome. Lovely to see you both. Afternoon, great to be here. Yeah, so let's just kick off and grab some thoughts about what you're both thinking about on the share market at the moment. So, Daniel, how are you positioned? Are you thinking of buying at the moment with these US uh, quarterly earnings coming out? Well, so far they've been pretty strong. I think the US bank's a little bit surprising. Obviously, you've got the larger banks reporting at the moment um, who who perform quite strongly. Um, I think overall, we're probably a little bit still on the cautious side. We have been sitting in quite a bit of cash um, and sticking to more high quality, you know, defensible businesses. Um, We are seeing pockets of opportunity, particularly in that small cap space, which we do like to dabble in. So, you know, we're we're cautiously adding to those companies at the moment, but uh, still still being patient you know there's there's no benefits and there's no extra points for difficulty so we're happy to to be a little bit more defensive at this point in time yeah absolutely fair enough and uh david what about you how are you seeing things at the moment yeah i tend to agree with that cautiousness at at present we uh, are a little bit uh, concerned about the the values in the US and think that their market is still a little bit too high and the fact that the US market hasn't necessarily taken into account the the impact that rising rates will have over there and broadly believe that the the Fed needs to do more work in the US. So concerned uh, about the valuations there. So we've got an underweight exposure to US in particular but also to international markets. But in Australia, uh, a little bit more positive on, on the current outlook and think the Reserve Bank has done a, a reasonable job. And on the proviso that they um, <clears throat> they hold rates fairly steadily, uh, we think that we're, we're in a reasonable economic position. Um, but having said that, we've seen a bit of a bounce back in the market over the last few weeks. And some of the stocks that we were looking at are, are probably a little bit fully valued at present. So, um, yeah, still a bit of a, a, a an individual stock pickers market in, in the current environment. Yeah, totally. And uh, both um, the markets have really sort of popped a bit, haven't they, to the higher end of their trading ranges. So it is going to be interesting to see how things pan out. Stock of the day, Bank of Queensland. They obviously flagged their first half results on Friday. And what was most noticeable was not only the provisions that they are making, a $200 million write down, and also a $60 million uh, provision for risks. But most importantly was the dividend cut, which was, uh, I would have thought, unexpected for the market. So why don't I check in? Uh, I'll start with you, David. What's your view on this regional bank here in Australia? Yeah, you're right. The, the dividend was a bit of a, a shock that the uh, the dividend was cut um, and certainly below our expectations. Um, we weren't overly concerned about the... As, as much as it, it sounds terrible, the $200 million write-down of goodwill, um, that's more of an accounting issue. So from a, a, an operational point of view, weren't overly concerned about that. And think that the provisioning of the, the $60 million for, for risk is actually a smart move. Uh, they've got new management that have come in. Patrick Alloway has come in as, as CEO and, and Warwick Negus as chairman. Uh, Warwick Negus in particular is very well very experienced in in the field um so we're actually reasonably positive on on 
BOQ. We think at current levels uh, we've got an accumulate recommendation on them. But our fair value is $8.80, so we think there is quite a bit of upside in the business. Um, but it is going to be hard going for BOQ over the next year or two. Uh, what was a little bit disappointing in their, their result or their pre-announcement was the fact that their net interest margins were lower. Um, so, you know, their net interest margin, we're forecasting about 1.8%, which is compared to a number of the, the major banks, which are now over 2%. So that's a, a bit of a disappointment for them. Um, and, yeah, think that th there is value in the stock and, and those that are prepared to uh, stay with it over the long term will be rewarded. But having said that, over the last 12 or 18 months, it's been an underperformer uh, and shareholders have been disappointed with the, the performance today. Yeah, no, interesting comments there. And uh, clearly there's been a lot of management changes with the company, which uh, I did read today. One of the brokers was concerned about that you have seen so much turnover. How are you seeing the stock, Daniel? Yeah, certainly some similar sentiments there. One thing with the management changes is usually you see, um, you know, potentially any skeletons in the closet may get aired out. Um, so obviously the CEO wants to come out and start on the best foot possible. One of the positives though was that there was some concerns whether or not there might have actually been fines um, applied to BOQ due to their um, some of the non-financial mm. risk measures. So investments in cybersecurity mm. and AML and things like that. And fortunately there wasn't any penalties. Perhaps if it was one of the big four APRA would have uh, reacted differently, but um, we thought that was a positive, but we're probably a little bit more negative overall in the stock. It actually has one of the most challenged funding structures out of all of our banks, um, certainly the highest cost funding structure. And for that reason alone, we're probably looking to exit potentially after the next dividend. You know, we, we want to keep that dividend that they'll be coming up for the next report, but um, potentially looking to, to decrease our exposure after that. So likely more on the cautious side, even though it is cheap. Fantastic. So our experts today, sort of lukewarm, cool, um, possibly not racing in there. And in the case of Daniel, taking some profits moving down the track. So before we move on to our 10 stocks, just to remind everybody today, none of this is advice, information purposes only. And we are going to go to AGL, which when I did a little bit of research, discovered that actually that was the second stock listed on the ASX in uh, 1871. So the question really, having seen Origin Energy disappear from the ASX, is will AGL be around? And Tracy would really like an update on the stock. So Daniel, going to you. AGL, they've got lots of, they've had lots of problems. Liddell is obviously closing down. That was in the news today. Transitioning to renewable energy, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff happening there. How are you seeing the stock? Yeah, it's certainly what we would call a big confusing beast. Um, obviously, the share price has, has been under a little bit of pressure. It was only until really had Mike Cannonbrook step in with the potential acquisition there and um, that we started to see some life back in the share price. And he obviously came in at a quite opportunistic time. I think the underall, uh, the, the overall key factor here is that you have um, rising electricity prices, wholesale electricity prices, which for the biggest generator is obviously a massive positive. Um, and a lot of their generation, especially from coal, it comes from long-term low price contracts. So yes, there has been an increase in the, in the unit costs and in, in the operating costs on that side, but um, most of the price benefit they're actually um, going to going to realise, which is obviously very positive for them. But overall, you know, it's such a difficult stock to analyse, and one we probably like to stay out of. Um, that they do need some credit because they have been fantastic on the customer side. They're actually experiencing lower churn in, in the energy markets than their um, competitors, which is um, typically you know quite surprising for the largest uh, incumbent in the space. So they're doing a great job there with the white labeling of products and they'll probably continue to be the most dominant in that space for a while. But it's just the generation and the asset maintenance side, you know, obviously we saw with Liddell, it's just very difficult, a lot of costs associated with it, a lot of costs of shutting down and rehabilitation. And one thing that probably gets a little bit misunderstood is with the renewables, they're likely to be funded by external, you know, investors like infrastructure funds, et cetera. So they're not investing the tens of billions to develop it themselves but they will be the kind of operators um, and investing the capex in that side. Uh, but the ownership of it will actually come from outside investors, which I think is a positive. It's a much um, more capital efficient way of doing it. Um, something probably a lot of people don't understand. So that's 
the one thing in terms of acquisition potential um, you got to look out for because you know they're not going to be 100% ownership of these assets. So just be cautious of that. But overall, for us, we we probably hold it in the near term just because they have that benefit of rising electricity prices. But probably looking more so to sell on any positive strength here. Okay, so a hold, possibly a sell, rising electricity prices, and uh, also seeing some uh, potential other investors coming to help them there on the renewable side. David, do you think AGL is possibly still a takeover target or with Origin now disappearing off the boards? um, You know, does that change your view on the stock at all? Is there still corporate appeal? I think that there definitely is, and and we did see um, Brookfield um, you know, attempt to, to make that offer with uh, Mike Cannon Brooks and and uh, his uh, venture capital business a while ago, and now they've pivoted towards Origin. Um, but there is definitely a appeal in Australian uh, you know electricity generation assets. Uh, the whole industry, not only in Australia but globally, is, is going through a massive transition, uh, and that transition towards uh, renewables is, is obviously on the the front of mind of everybody. Um, AGL, as as part of their uh, recent AGM, have got new directors and and new management in there and and renewables is definitely one of their major pushes. Um, As far as corporate appeal, yeah, we we do see value in it. We've we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. We think the fair value of the company is about $12.80. Uh, so you know, we think it's it's well it's worth well more than it currently is trading at. Um, expecting earnings will increase by about 162 percent in the next 12 months, which sounds great. But the last 12 months wasn't great, uh, so it's it's a bit of a recovery as far as that's concerned. And in line with that, we are seeing the potential of the dividend increasing quite a bit as well. So there's definitely appeal in it, um, but you do really need to be a patient investor in AGL. And, and you know, if anybody's been invested in AGL for the last few years, uh, your patience may well be uh, tested at, at current levels. But we think it is in a bit of a, a turnaround phase and at current levels is, is reasonable value um, for you know, long-term investors. Fantastic. Great. So basically a hold and a sell from Daniel and an accumulate for the patient investors from David. Let's move on to our second stock, Comply Fintech Solutions, CF1. And uh, thank you very much to Dean who's put this one forward. I must admit it was a little bit um, one that I wasn't aware of, um, if my research serves me correctly, about a $21 million market cap on this one. And it's still loss making. So we're talking uh, the software space. Can we have uh, some views, Daniel, on this stock? Yeah, well, I think the first part of the show we talked about being cautious, and this is probably the the perfect stock that we would be um, extremely cautious on. It's such a small business, 20 mil, um, you know, it's a micro cap. Absolutely no liquidity in the trading value of it. It's not profitable. I think I saw from the cash flow statement that it was approaching profitability, but then you also realize there was a 800 or 1,000 so dollar R&D grant refund. So, you know, being funded by grants probably isn't on the the side of profitability we like to see. Their product does seem to be an advisor compliance and solutions. It does seem to have um, quite a few clients on the book, but the revenue is still really small, so it does seem to be a very, very small value-add product. I think it's fair to say that, you know, this wouldn't be a stock we'd consider looking at at Stock Doctor, and, you know, we're probably pushing towards selling this because looking at the cash burn, likely there could be a raise coming, you know, within, within the next six, 12 months, and at these prices, shareholders won't be too happy with that. So it's simply just not the right market environment for these stocks at the moment. Um, you know, there are opportunities out there in smaller cap businesses, but they need to be able to self-fund their operations. Anything to do with capital raisings at the moment is just so difficult, um, let alone for a $20 million business. So, yeah, I think we're, we're, we'd be very cautious on this and probably looking to sell, even though the share price is down so much. Yeah, tricky conditions, isn't it? It's not really the right liquidity environment for small to micro caps. David, what's your view on the stock? Yeah, certainly a lot of uh, Daniel's views are, are very relevant, um, and it is a very small small business. Um, I was aware of the business and the products that they offer, but to be honest, I wasn't actually aware that it was listed on the on the ASX until uh, reviewing it for the program. Um, their share price has been 
significantly sold off with most of the other fintech companies over the last 12 or 18 months uh, so it is at a very very low level um, they do have about 6.9 million dollars of, of cash and no debt so in the short term uh, yeah they do have sufficient funding but as daniel said you never know with these sorts of small businesses um, it's definitely though in a space where there's an increasing demand uh, and yeah, being a financial advisor myself, I know that the compliance uh, requirements that are that are ever increasing, um, and Comply have got a, a fairly good agreement in place with AussieX, which is one of the the major uh, white label businesses for independent advisors, uh, and they're building a, uh, a CRM platform. So there is some interest in the business. It's um, you know it is an interesting one, but yeah, very very speculative. Um, share price is, is very low. Uh, if you're wanting to have a bit of a, a play at this type of business, I'd only do it with a fairly small amount. Um, but yeah, I'd probably steer clear of them. Yeah, fair enough. It sort of fits, unfortunately, the um, the lobster pot category in terms of, you know, easy to get <laughs> into, so. a little yeah. bit more challenging to get out of. So let's move to our, <laughs> our third stock, Smart Group. SIQ and it is definitely the day of the D's because Daryl has been asking around about this stock and uh, he's basically saying it's run pretty hard so it's is it a longer term hold with growth opportunities and obviously for those that don't know we are talking um, about a leasing fleet management company as well as providing payment solutions and packaging salary packaging for employees uh, I did notice it's almost a billion dollar market cap and an attractive 5% yield so David thoughts on smart group for Daryl <laughs> Yes, Daryl, it, it is a great business, and as as he said, it's uh, it has run very hard. Um, part of the reason that the share price has done well is because of the the increasing demand for um, electric vehicles, in particular. And uh, with the new government, they've actually announced some very favourable uh, novated leasing terms or FBT rules that make uh, leasing of, of electric vehicles a lot more attractive and a lot more appealing. So that's part of the reason that the, the share price has been doing well and part of the reason that we like the business that there is a very good run rate as far as uh, new referrals coming through. One of the challenges that the business has had though is that they've, they've had a lot of um, new business inquiries and a combination of not being able to have uh, sufficient staff and also not being able to to have the cars delivered in time uh, has meant that their their uh, new new referrals hasn't actually translated into uh, you know, revenue or, or business. So that's been a bit of a handbrake on the business in the short term. But long term, we think that they they have been investing in in their staff and uh, you know getting that position right. And the car market is now opening up, and and they are actually able to deliver cars. So we think the outlook is good for the business. We've actually got a buy recommendation on it, um, but I just caution the fact that our valuation for the company is $6.60, so they're actually now trading above that. Um, so probably in, current, in the current market, given that the share price has run as hard, I'd probably just be holding off on that and look for a, a bit of a, a weakness in that share price to look at um, buying the stock. Yeah, it's um, certainly the case at the moment. Some of these share prices have moved quite a lot. So uh, whilst the companies might have longer term appeal, short term, some of them are just a bit potentially yeah. overbought. Daniel, what's your thoughts on Smart Group? Yeah, they are decent quality businesses. And the reason for that is because their customers are pretty sticky. Um, they do uh, provide a, a pretty required administration services in this market. And obviously, um, it's you know ran as a, a primarily duopoly with MMS, um, Macmillan Shakespeare Group. And I think that's the company in this space we're probably leaning more towards. And the, the tipping point for that was last year um, when you saw the Department of Victoria, um, I think it was Department of Education Victoria contract switch from Smart Group to MMS. And since then, um, they've been the relative outperformer. Um, and I think Six months ago, Smart Group was talking about, you know, reducing the cost base, taking costs out of the out of the equation. That's how they'd grow EPS. Well, 
um, essentially that's causing a little bit of harm and it's very difficult to manage your cost base in this environment. So I think potentially the capital allocation there has been a little bit under question and they also carry a little bit more debt as well, I believe, than MMS. So on the front of it, I'd probably just prefer Macmillan Shakespeare. Um, the, the, the key thing that's coming up now is that I think there's probably one or two big contracts up for renewal in South Australia and if um, Smart Group can come in and win that off Macmillan, that would be a, a really big positive. And I think you'd start to see that narrative change. And it goes to show how competitive, you know, these two businesses are. Um, but until, you know, that that would be the catalyst for the stock, we probably wouldn't be looking to buy it. Um, and we'd be continuing to hold our position in Macmillan. It has a, a very similar yield, trades on roughly the same multiple for what we think is a probably a better balance sheet and arguably better management team. So we'd probably be leaning towards them in the in the short term. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Right. We still haven't found uh, two buys, two, two, a stock that we get, you know, <laughs> basically two buy recommendations on. Maybe our next stock. And uh, of course, it's one of the, the big favourites on the Australian share market, CSL. And uh, I, I'm starting to think someone's having a bit of a joke with me today because being a newbie and all, I have David asking about CSL. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just having a look at the share price here. So it is holding above that 300 level. Um, it's really been in a trading range now. It's very much a COVID recovery story. You've got the VI4 acquis acquisition in there. And I think a lot of the brokers like it. So David, what is Audmanet thinking about uh, CSL at these levels? Look, we like CSL and it is one of those core uh, portfolio stocks that, that most clients will have in their portfolio already. Um, as you said, though, current price above that $300 mark, we've got a hold recommendation on it. Uh, our valuation on it is $315. Um, think that it is a high quality business but it's difficult to be buying at current levels. Uh, when we look at it on a fundamental basis, it's a PE ratio of 42 times and a dividend yield of 1.1%. Um, certainly not cheap, uh, but then again, CSL hasn't been cheap for a long period of time. Uh, it is a growth business. And as you said, their, their recent acquisitions continue to um, underpin that long, longer term growth. And we think that over the next five years, they should have compound annual growth of a, around 12%. Uh, so it is a, a business that will continue to grow, uh, but probably just, again, look for a, a bit of a, a pullback either in the market or in the, the share price to be looking at, at adding to the business in your portfolio. But if you've currently got it, I'd be holding it. Right. So long-term appeal, but at the moment fully valued. So we're sitting on a hold. Would that be sort That's of right. correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Okay. Daniel, David would like to know about CSL. <laughs> I thought we were going to get the double buy across the line here, but unfortunately, uh, David's <laughs> gone with the hold. We'd call it a buy, I think. What we've seen just in terms of market data coming out recently, you've obviously got the recovering um, donations, which is obviously very positive for their um, gross margin, their cost side on the on the um, plasma supply. And you've also got pricing increases um, being seen across the, the industry as a whole um, for their blood-based medicine. So we actually think there could be, you know, pretty strong margin improvement there on the gross line. Yes, there will be some inflation um, outside of gross margin, the cost of doing business, but we think that's probably a positive um, that we'd like to see in the next result. And overall, I think, you know, obviously they've had some of the most uh, premium management team and, and management in the entire in the entire ASX here. Um, but, you know, just, they just continue to go from strength to strength and they just always over deliver. So it'll be interesting to see under the new management here now mm. um, whether that will still be the case. We think it is. Um, obviously, our near-term thesis is on that gross margin story. Um, they continue to get success in their other other products portfolio as well. And Vifor is a pretty good business. And we think that, you know, similar to what they did um, with the vaccine business, they can acquire that and, and look to run run that in a much more efficient way and, and continue to grow and diversify their exposure away from blood-based medicines as well. So we think it's a great company. The valuation is a little bit difficult to swallow, but our thinking is, you know, the market's probably going to be rocky for the next six months. We think CSL is going to be positive. Um, so that's why we'd be a buy as well in the short term. 
Yeah, so you're basically suggesting it's a bit of a defensive play at the moment if, if markets get a bit rickety-rockety. And we're also going into the flu season here in Australia. I don't know Absolutely. if you guys have been uh, hit with that email, it's time to get the flu shot, but I certainly have. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand it's a, a fairly nasty flu that's coming from Europe this year. So um, you're absolutely right. It'll be really interesting to see how you know those results, how they pan out. So we're going from one of Australia's largest premier quality defensive stocks, CSL, to something that has been uh, very much in focus, critical metals and minerals in Australia. We all know this is uh, geared into the renewable energy sector. It's been very much in vogue. But unfortunately, for our fifth stock of the day, Australian Strategic Materials, ASM, which has been picked by Christina. And uh, I did have a little look at that. And uh, gee, it's been a tough ride for shareholders on this one. The stock has really come off quite a bit. So Daniel, I might start with you. Views on ASM. Yeah, look, I think I typically follow the mining and mineral space a little bit more closely. So this is one I've had a, a brief look at before, but haven't revisited. So it was great to get a chance to relook at it. Um, obviously, the whole sector across the board in, in rare earths and, and lithium and battery minerals have all suffered. Obviously, the, the story at the moment is suffering near-term demand out of China. So EV sales continually disappointed, but they have started to recover. And I think across the board, we are a little bit more positive, but it comes back to stock selection at this point in time. I mean, you know, ASM have a, a, a massive project that they're proposing. I think they're proposing over like a one and a half towards $2 billion CapEx um, project in, in, in order to develop not only processing, but a separation facility uh, for some of their rare earths. And they actually have a, a, a downstream plan, I think in Korea for some, um, for some neodymium uh, alloy manufacturing. So not the magnets, but the alloys that go into building the magnets. So it's a really interesting company. Um, but at the moment, you know, imagine trying to secure that funding. That's the business is only worth a few hundred million dollars. They're going to need arguably close to two billion or at least one and a half billion to, wow. to develop this. It's it's a, it's an extraordinary feat and one that will be extremely difficult to finance. Hence, you see a lot of that steam coming out of the share prices that reality kicks in. If you're interested in rare earths, particularly at the moment, I don't see how you can go past Linus. Obviously, you know, the, the short term issues are providing that opportunity for longer term shareholders. And, you know, that's by far the highest quality play. They have the infrastructure. They have the best deposit in Mount Weld. It's, and Mount Weld is a far better deposit than what they have in Dubbo for this company as well. So I, I just don't see how, if I was interested in the space, you know, in terms of asset allocation, I'd be selecting ASM over Linus. I, I think that would be by far my preferred. Right. So would you actually sell it? And, and you know, is, is that you just sort of say like... Two billion that they need to spend, that's massive, isn't it? It's very hard for a company to perform when they have to invest that amount of money. Should, should investors just sort of say, well, I was too early, maybe I should sell it and, you know, reassess down the track? Is that what you would uh, suggest, even though none of this is advice? Yeah, of course. Well, our view would be, you know, we, we want to care about our capital preserving it as well as growing it. So from that point of view, you know, we think there could be further weakness for sure in this company. So we'd be looking to sell. And if you want that same exposure, like I said, go to Linus where the balance sheet is there to support it and support its own internal growth as well. And the funny thing is, you know, you look at um, government handouts in terms of providing low cost financing and, and those critical minerals acts. You know, companies like Linus and um, and Iluca, who are multi-billion dollar companies, are receiving those too. So it's not that they have some form of cheap funding advantage. You know, the, the big guys are getting these these cheap access to financing too. So don't see the appeal at the moment to, to take this extra risk when, when the opportunity is there in, in the large established players. Fantastic. Okay. David, do you have any different thoughts about uh, ASM? No, and I think Daniel's Daniel's views are all uh, yeah, very relevant and, and very important. Um, it is an interesting sector in that, uh, as you said, it's it's becoming a political uh, hotbed, and and the Labor government are, are talking about critical minerals as being very very important. So there there could well be some support, perhaps in the in the upcoming uh, budget 
uh, for critical minerals. I note that they did get uh, $10 million funding from the New South Wales government for their um, Dubbo project. But as Daniel said, $10 million is, is a long way off, $2 billion. So uh, there's a long way to go. Um, there, there are some positives in the business. We've seen a, an increase in their earnings uh, fairly significantly over the last 12 months. They are actually uh, selling some product in, in Korea. So there is some cash flow coming through. They've got uh, you know, net, net cash for about $71 million at present. So there are some positives there. And given that the share price is down as much as it is, um, um, if you are wanting to have a, a very speculative um, play at, at rare earths, this could well be a, a way to do it. Um, but as Daniel sort of said, the, the bigger players are probably more appealing. Uh, and on the lithium side, we actually prefer Orkham, uh, AKA, uh, AKE is the code for Orkham. We think that it's uh, you know, one of the global uh, leaders as far as lithium is concerned and, and tend, to, tend to like to uh, stick with those bigger players in that space. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. So but I know you prefer Orkham. Would you sell it if you owned it? Oh, I probably wouldn't be be selling it if I if I owned it. Um, given the share price is down about eighty six percent or so, I'd, I'd certainly be be staying with it. Um, and as I said, if you if you're wanting a, a very speculative punt, you you might want to uh, you know, put a little bit into it. But um, yeah, it's certainly not a, a stock that I'll be recommending to to my clients. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Other opportunities elsewhere, basically, in this uh, very hot space. So let's just run, <laughs> run through what we've been uh, through in the first half an hour. Stock of the day, Bank of Queensland. Um, David, basically looking at an $8.80 fair price value on that stock. Uh, sees upside, uh, but, you know, possibly a hold. No rush to get in there at this point in time, but quite upbeat about the new management that's come in there and the new chairman, Warwick Negus. Uh, Daniel, m much more sort of negative, uh, basically a challenging funding structure for this regional bank. Uh, and uh, looking to exit sell the stock after the dividend payment, the next dividend payment that's coming up. So uh, let's go to the first stock of the day, AGL. And basically we have a hold slash sell from Daniel on, on uh, AGL. Uh, the company is benefiting from rising electricity prices, uh, positive in terms of a low customer churn, but nevertheless, huge costs involved as the company transitions away uh, with the closure of Liddell from uh, coal-fired fossil fuel powers towards renewables. David, on the other hand, uh, Audminet have a $12.80 share price target on the company or fair valuation with an accumulation but he would, did emphasise that uh, investors might have to be a little bit patient with this stock. And both Daniel and David agreeing that there is potential for for oh well, potential for other investors to have a look at terms of co-funding some of these renewable projects, as well as uh, the stock, looking at the stock itself. Then we moved on to Comply Fintech, uh, a sell from David and uh, pretty much um, too speculative, um, sorry, a sell from Daniel. David, uh, too, it's speculative, a, a void, very, very small company there, attractive space, but just basically a small loss-making company. Smart Group, interesting. Um, Daniel has a buy on the stock, a $6.06, oh, sorry, I'm do, I think I'm getting confused here. David has a buy on the stock with a $6.60 fair value. Um, cautious because the stocks run a little bit uh, far in the short term, so the valuation is quite fully priced. Uh, Daniel likes the company, however, sees only a hold recommendation at best and a preference for Macmillan Shakespeare, who recently won a contract down in Victoria um, from Smart Group. 
So as yet, we haven't been able to get uh, to buy recommendations, not even for the um, large CSL. David, a core holding, we like the stock, uh, 315 valuation on it, but just probably the, the share price has moved a bit too far at this point in time. Daniel, a buy recommendation, very much likes it, recovery in donations, plasma collection, positive pricing, uh, so a buy there. And having a look at Australian Strategic Minerals, uh, our fifth stock of the day. Uh, really, Daniel's saying uh, that it's, it's a sell. At this point in time, the company needs to invest about $2 billion, and that's going to put a cap on it. His preference is for Linus. And uh, David, um, if, you, if you already hold it, you continue to hold it, but their preference in that space is Welcome. So let's just have a look in terms of um, the, uh, the, the portfolio and the call is tracking their, our own conviction or our own high conviction fund which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch on ausbiz.com so let's check in with the portfolio update. Going into April, New Century was removed, WiseTech was added, weightings of Wes Farmers and Macquarie Group went up by 2% each, another 1.5% was added to Boss Resources and 7% cash was spent. Let's see how the portfolio is performing. And it is so far the fund is 10 spot 22% higher on a cumulative return basis since inception on March the 1st. So keep, in, keep sending in your requests and keep the, the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. So maybe in our next five stocks, we might find uh, some possible buys for the portfolio. So moving right ahead. Terracom, T-E-R. Again, I had to do a little bit of a check on this one, but basically this is formerly known as Guildford Coal, a coal company uh, with assets in Queensland and in South Australia. So, Daniel, what do you think of uh, Terracom? Yeah, the coal space is probably one of the most discussed sectors uh, over the last 12 months, a little bit less so now. Uh, who would have thought, you know, a year ago that we'd be talking about coal so much? But this is by far, you know, one of the most, I think, overhyped coal stocks. They have a, a decent mine in Blair Athol, which is in Queensland, um, formerly ran by Rio Tinto, I believe, many years ago. They ran that to depletion, sold it, was basically on care and maintenance for quite a few years. And then um, Terracon have come in and restarted it at a much smaller base. And basically, you know, they, they've profited from the, the huge run up in coal prices. But Obviously, the quality of coal they sell is a little bit below that that Newcastle um, index, which you know typically you see a lot come out of um, from from Whitehaven and New Hope. So something to to be mindful of there. But the second asset is a is a, um, a South African coal mine, and South African coal mines are notorious for being very very. Uh, um, I'm careful of the word I use here, but very, very uh, terrible investments. Uh, famously, South 32 got spun off with a, a whole bunch of them and they had to sell them for a loss. You know, they sold these mines for, for a negative price just to get it off their books because the vast majority of production goes towards their um, their internal electricity provider. And, you know, there are very, very low costs, typically almost below the cost of production. So they're ma making barely any money out of it at record coal prices. Um, and this is why, you know, I'd be very far away from Terracom as, a, as an option in the coal sector. We actually chose to ride the coal space through South 32. Um, South 32 has a pretty big coal mine, uh, Met Coal Mine in New South Wales. And we typically prefer Met Coal over thermal coal. Um, and that was obviously a really great performer. And it had the diversification as well outside of coal. And that's kind of played out now so you know we're probably still looking to pull away from these coal names but any you know single commodity exposure to coal Whitehaven, New Hope, Yan Coal they're probably going to struggle for the next six months because you've got a lot of toppy investors who have been in there and and essentially you know they're starting to get tired of the story and looking to sell so that's probably our thesis on the next six months and Terracom we just you know we wouldn't be looking to play the sector through this stock at all so yeah we'd be pretty happy to sell it um, and looking to allocate that money elsewhere. 
Okay, and you, you did say that you preferred or you had been recommending South 32. Would you still be buying South 32 at these levels? Well, we actually took some profits at around that $5 mark, but pulled back, starting to look interesting. Um, we're probably still just a little bit of a hold at the moment. We, we haven't re-entered the stock. Um, we'd like to see it pull back a little bit more. Um, there is still some uncertainties on the cost side there. They probably had you know, some of the higher cost inflation out of the, the large producers in the group. So we'd probably like to see that you know, be, di um, be uh, digested by the market. Uh, and until we see that happen, we'll probably just stay out of the stock for now. But South32, where you know, famously um, being known to saying probably has the best management team in mining. So we're more than happy to buy the stock counter cyclically and sit in it for, the, for recovering commodity prices if that were to happen. Okay, great. Thanks, Daniel. David, what's your view, Terracom? Yeah, pretty much agree with, with everything Daniel said. Uh, Terracom's not a stock that, that Ords officially covers, uh, although we did have management come and present to us at our uh, East Coast Mining Conference a few weeks ago, and they've had a very, very strong period. Um, as Daniel said, the coal price has been very strong. Uh, they achieved an average price of $450 a tonne, um, so it's probably they've had the best of periods that they could have possibly had in the last 12 months. Um, they have been generating enormous amounts of cash and returning that to shareholders. So when you look at the stock, it's sitting on a dividend yield of 31%, which is um, extraordinary. Um, but what they've done is returned $220 million to shareholders in the last 12 months. Um, it's yeah in in a real transition as we sort of spoke about earlier with with agl um the coal market has had a sweet spot um over the next five to ten years it is going to be a declining industry so at the moment the likes of terracom and even whitehaven and others are returning that money to shareholders because simply they're not able to reinvest in any new mines. Um, so it is a business that if you've got the shares, I'd be holding them because you will get cash returned to you. But as Daniel said, I think as far as a long-term investment's concerned, there's better opportunities out there. We actually quite like South 32 as well and think that it's it's a good business and, and having that diversified asset base is probably more appealing for investors. Um, so yeah, I'd probably be be steering clear from Terracom, but if you've currently got them, I'd be holding them. Uh, David, was that a historical yield, 31%, or is that perspective? Uh, that's historic at the, at the yeah. moment. Um, the, the company does forecast uh, that they will continue to, to pay high dividends and, and return capital to shareholders. And that is, you know, Whitehaven and, and New Hope are in a similar sort of position because, um, yeah, they are returning uh, cash to shareholders while they are able to get the, the high coal prices. Um, but the next two years or so uh, will probably be harder for them to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I certainly wouldn't be anticipating that you're going to get 31% uh, every year uh, <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Whoa, 31%. It sort of has uh, alarm bells going off in my brain in terms of potential value yeah, traps. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just an old stockbroker speaking. Um, Aaron, I hope that, exactly. <laughs> I hope that helps. Uh, moving ahead, Domino's, which was such a favourite stock for so long but has had quite a spectacular fall from grace and has been struggling to recover with lots of cost increases. I did note that it's moved off its uh, $45 low that it was at recently. It's up to $53. Uh, so David, views on Domino's, would you be buying at these levels? Yeah, I think I would. We've got an accumulate recommendation on them, uh, and we did change that recommendation following their their significant share price fall after their result. We had a, a whole recommendation prior to that. Uh, we think that the the sell off is probably a little bit overdone. Uh, Domino's was impacted by rising costs uh, and the fact that they are in a, I suppose, a, a low cost uh, environment as, as far as their staff are concerned. So they found it very difficult to get staff because um, yeah, their, their staff are getting paid uh, better elsewhere. So that was one of the, the issues that Domino's had, as well as the fact that they attempted to, to increase their the price of the pizzas and, and the price of delivery. And that had a, a big impact on their sales. So they, they've hit a, a 
short-term hiccup. We think that medium and longer term, it is a very well-managed business. They do manage their brands very well. And it's often been said that Domino's is more of a, a tech business rather than a, a pizza business. And they have made, recently made some changes as far as their tech is concerned and uh, implemented a lot of their their uh, their specials or their um discounts through their their new apps so we think that medium and longer term it is a good business um and yeah current levels think that it's a it's reasonable value so yeah we've got an accumulate recommendation on it okay so daniel is this going to be the stock where we get two buys no unfortunately not i'm not sure if any analysts went with this title but that result was certainly hard to swallow um, <laughs> heading, heading into the, the previous result. The key thing for Domino's, and, it, and it's obviously a well-loved and well-understood stock, so I won't spend too much time discussing its fundamentals, but the key thing from our perspective is that franchisees are the life force of this business. And if you start to see prolonged margin compression, prolonged loss of profitability, uh, which by all accounts, is happening at the moment for franchisees you know then there's no incentive for them to reinvest and open new stores and that is the entire growth profile for this company so if they have to a rebasing um install rollouts and that, and that comes down lower there'll be you know huge consensus downgrades across the board and that's probably what we're concerned of now it might not happen um, and if that doesn't happen, then the stock is probably fairly priced at the moment. So that's our thinking. It's it's probably heads, you know, I might break even, tails, I might lose a lot. So it's probably not an asymmetric bet we're willing to make at the moment. Um, but, you know, they obviously have a great history of of um, of executing with Domage there as, as the head of the as the head of the company and there's a reason why you know the u.s um, parent company typically like to give australia the the the, ma the master franchise agreements globally so you know th there's a chance that they can get through this but there's probably too much uncertainty and, and therefore we'd be away from the stock um we probably look at this recent rally as a little bit of a chance to take profit so i'm going to call it another sell here being a little bit defensive today Okay, so a defensive there. No problem at all. Moving to a slightly uh, smaller cap stock, Main Pharma Group. Earl has been asking about that. The ticker code is MYX. David, any thoughts on Main Pharma? Yeah, well, again, it, it seems to be a bit of a theme today that we're talking about companies in transformation uh, and Main Pharma is, is also in transformation. They've um, recently been selling a number of their their businesses. They've recently uh, just announced that they've completed the sale of their um, generic pharmaceuticals business in the US. Um, they are bringing in a fair bit of cash for those businesses, but it is a business that has been loss making uh, for a number of years and the concern I, I guess when you look at the, the fundamentals of the business is that its revenues have been rising but their losses have also been rising. Uh, so yeah it's a business that is now pivoting, they're selling their their generic pharmaceuticals business uh, and they're now moving into um, women's uh, yeah, women's uh, health products in the US. So. It's probably one that I'd be avoiding uh, and yeah, potentially if you've got it, I'd, I'd be selling at the moment. Uh, we've seen uh, you know, that chart shows that the share price has, has actually done quite well in spite of the fact that it's still a loss-making business. So I'd probably be, uh, be exiting the business because it's never, never a good sign when uh, companies are, are doing a, a transformation and, and moving into new industries that they haven't necessarily been involved with before. Yeah, absolutely. And Daniel, how do you see it? Similar transition business, always a bit more challenging. Yeah, similar thoughts. Uh, I've never looked at this one before, but when I did, I thought, geez, what a headache um, it would be to read these financial statements because there's so many moving parts, so many um, divestments going through at the moment, and there's been recent acquisitions as well in, in recent years. So the, the financials are a pretty big mess, and I think they've got some inventory issues, which is why um, they had uh, negative gross margins um, at the recent half, I think, for some of their some of the uh, brands in their portfolio. And I think they're more in the distribution space rather than pharmaceutical drug ownership. Um, so that does make sense. I think they obviously play a lot in the generic space. So they've had some price competition there from some other players and it's absolutely destroyed their margins and destroyed their, their inventory turnover metrics. So I think that kind of 
um, was the way I was seeing the recent result. But there's just so much mess here at the moment. That share price, I think, um, that chart you brought up was due to a consolidation. If you, I think, look at another chart which adjusts for a share consolidation, I think they're down about 50% this year. So it's obviously been quite tumultuous for investors. And they carry a lot of debt as well on the balance sheet. Um, they are selling uh, part of the business for 130 million, but I think there still does seem to be quite a bit of debt there. So, you know, this one's going to require a lot of time to go through and understand what the thesis is here. Um, you know, potentially if you've done the work and you can see something that's different from the market view at the moment, then, you know, perhaps perhaps you have some insight there. But for us at the moment, it's just too complex, too many things going on, obviously not making money at the moment with that, that margin story I just mentioned. So, yeah, we'd be moving on from this. I think in this environment, biotech or, or pharmaceuticals as a whole, you know, they've done quite poorly and there's probably better opportunities in similar field um, elsewhere. So we'd be, we'd be looking to probably pull away as well from this one and sell. Okay, sell opportunities elsewhere. I have to say, Daniel, I'm going to have to give you the uh, the A plus for sayings today. What a headache and a, and hard to swallow. So we'll wait for the trifecta on what you can come up with for the last two stocks. Uh, the next one, a uh, specialist medical company, Avita Medical, AVH. And Damien, I swear, someone is seriously trying to take the mickey out of me today. We've got so many Ds. Uh, Damien is just reporting and it seemed to go well, at least from the market's reaction. reaction. Um, but not as popular as some of its competitors. So, David, any thoughts around AVH? Yeah, it's a very interesting business. Um, they, their main product is the resell, which is uh, effectively spray on skin. So they're uh, in the in the burns um, sector, uh, and they have a, a very big uh, business in the US. So it is an interesting business. We've recently downgraded our recommendation from uh, a buy to a hold, uh, and that's really based on the, the share price movement. So it has actually uh, performed reasonably well in, in recent times. So we've we've reduced our recommendation there. We still think it's worth about five dollars sixty a share, though. Uh, and it is a business that's growing its its market share. So it currently has about 20% of the, the Burns market in the US, uh, and that's a fairly concentrated market. So there's only about 136 specialist Burns units in, in the US. Um, so we're forecasting that they increase that market share to around 36% by 2026. So it is a business that's growing. Um, it's not making money as yet because uh, you know, tech is is a high expense business and a lot of uh, research goes into it but they do have FDA approval and their product uh, is a superior product to a lot of its competitors so uh, we do do like it but currently based on that that share price performance have a whole recommendation on it yeah so hold recommendation uh, at the moment but maybe would you be looking to buy it should it pull back yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good business and an interesting one. Um, again, fairly small, so probably only a, a small part of the portfolio. But if we do see a bit of a pullback in the share price, I'd be looking at, at adding to it. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay, Daniel, your thoughts on uh, Avita Medical? Yeah, this is a, a pretty difficult one as well. Um, obviously, if you look at that chart there, shareholders have been burnt in recent period. Um, from our perspective, there's three companies in this space. There's Aroa, um, there's Polynova and Avita, and they all seem to be, you know, roughly growing at the same rate. So it shows to me that market share battle at the moment is, is quite um, intense. And obviously, it's a it's a long sales lead time into hospitals. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of the difficulty that they all experienced during COVID, hence why they got sold down so significantly. They weren't able to break into new markets and make new sales. Um, but from our perspective, you know, these really early stage and, you know, Avita does have a, a large share of the market, but it is quite early stage in terms of its financials. You know, it's roughly breaking even at the moment. Sales are growing, but it's not really, you know, the profitable um, medical company that you like to see. So it's probably a little bit too early. But still, again, we've got a company that's close to $600 million market value. 
I think sales will probably be around $75 million they're guiding to uh, for the next financial year, um, and that's Australian dollars, made that conversion. Um, and they're you know, not sure what, what is a realistic margin they can make on that, given it is such a tight market. So we're just probably a little bit concerned at the moment. That the good thing is they have cash. So they have about $110 million um, in cash to see them through for quite a while. So from that perspective, you know, if you if you're holding this stock, you know, we we probably wouldn't be too opposed to holding it, but it's not really the type of thing we'd be interested in. And at the moment, there's a lot of smaller companies potentially in this space, which you know have a niche. They're, they're profitable. They're generating cash at the moment. That's probably the thing we like to look for. Um, and and therefore, you know, something like Avita at the moment, we just probably wouldn't be like to be in. Um, having said that, though, because they have that cash on the balance sheet, we'd, we'd be happy to say you can hold on for your little specky bet at this point in time. Okay, let's quickly move on to the last company of today, Macquarie Group, um, which of course is another one of Australia's uh, great exports. Uh, we probably have to move a little bit more quickly through this one. David, your thoughts on Macquarie Group at the current levels? Yeah, probably fairly similar to CSL in that it's uh, it's a great quality business. Uh, as you said, it's a you know it's a global business now, but fairly fully priced at current levels. So we've got a hold recommendation on it. Uh, our fair value is one hundred seventy five dollars. Um, again, if you've got it in your portfolio, I'd certainly be sticking with it, but probably look for a bit of a, a, a short term weakness to to add to positions at current levels. And in the banking sector, David, would Macquarie be one of the preferred um, picks, um, even though it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a pure bank per se, but sure. uh, is it uh, one of the preferred stocks? Well, not at the moment, not at current prices. Um, at current prices, we, you know, BOQ is, is actually probably one of our preferred stocks, uh, but we also like ANZ and Westpac. And that's probably really more based on, on a fundamental basis as to where their share prices are. Um, again, Macquarie is one of those core portfolio stocks that, that most of my clients will already have in their portfolio. Uh, and you can't go wrong with having it in the portfolio, but at current levels, it's yeah fairly fully priced. Fair enough, fair enough. Daniel, thoughts on uh, Macquarie Bank? Do you like it at these levels? Yeah, well, similar again to CSL, we'll probably be a little bit more positive on it. We understand the next two years, earnings growth are probably going to be flat because they have a bit of a cyclical business in Macquarie Capital and, and in some of the asset management earnings there as well. So the next two years, profit growth is going to be hard to come by. But on the flip side of that, we know that you know Macquarie do like to make deals and are very active in the market. So they're probably one of the best capitalised banks um, globally at the moment. They have a lot of dry powder. They recently raised um, a few billion dollars as well not too long ago. So clearly they have something in mind. Um, and when you see depressed valuations in the sector, you know they're probably looking to act. They're probably looking to act um, more so in the asset management arm than in the banking arm. So keep an eye on for that. But it's it's a pretty rare sight to see Macquarie not looking to grow EPS over the next two or three years. So I think that they're, they're likely to do something, and it's probably one of the reasons we'd still be calling it a buy at these levels. Okay, so a buy there. Fantastic, gentlemen. I am going to uh, try and do another summary and not get the two Ds confused. Uh, right, so we are looking at uh, one second, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Terracom. Thank you for that. Um, we hold on one second. I've just made a little bit of a mess. There we go. Terracom. Uh, Basically, Daniel uh, feels that the stock um, really doesn't have a good long-term growth runway, prefers South 32. It uh, is a sell and uh, basically a hold on South 32. Uh, and David, we're looking at a company that basically, like some of the other coal companies, are continuing to pay out the large amounts of cash that they are generating at this point in time. But longer term, there are transition issues as we move to net zero emissions, yielding 31% on a historical basis. So if you have the stock, David was basically saying you can continue to hold it for that dividend yield going forward, but a preference for South 32.
Then we move to dominoes. Uh, basically, David has an accumulate on that one. There was too much of a sell-off in terms of the stock. It was overdone. They had some staffing problems. But basically, it's a well-managed business. So that's an accumulate, whereas Daniel feels that the result was hard to swallow. And uh, basically, franchisees are seeing a lot of margin pressure. And if you have that, it is more challenging for the business going forward. Um, so potential rebasing of some of those store rollouts. So thinking that it's a bit risky going forward and has a sell recommendation on that. Moving to Maine Pharma, both are experts pretty much in agreement on this one. A stock in very much in transition mode. There is a lot going on. So David basically saying avoid sell on main pharma and pretty much the same as well from Daniel. What a headache we had on that one. Um, the share price has underperformed substantially when looking at that share consolidation and it's all a little bit of a mess and very challenging to analyze. Moving on to the next one, Avita Medical, uh, looking in, it was in a very interesting space, uh, quite a lot of competition in Australia in that Burns market, but David, very interesting in terms of spray on skins. It's been downgraded from, um, a, hold, from, from a buy to a hold, um, but it is growing, $5.60 price target there. Daniel, market share, a lot of competition for the company, does have 110 million cash on the balance sheet, and uh, that is a hold recommendation at the moment, not looking to buy the stock. And um, sadly, no buys from both of them either for Macquarie. Uh, David, we've got uh, Macquarie fully priced a share price target of around $175, very much a core holding for some of his clients and in the banking sector, a preference for the likes of Bank of Queensland, ANZ and Westpac. Uh, Daniel very much likes the stock, feel uh, positive, long-term growth story, extremely well capitalized. They've raised money recently, good growth prospects in the asset management division. So a buy on that one. So Daniel, David, lovely to meet you both. Thank you so much for joining the call today. Um, I had lots of fun. I oh, hope hello. you did. And uh, thank you uh, for you for joining us today on this uh, on the call. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.